Ephesians 6. The whole theme of the book of Ephesians is walking in the riches of God's grace. And we are now in the third and final section of Ephesians on that topic. We, the first section taught us, you know, who we are in Christ. The second section taught us how to live in a way that's worthy of being in Christ. And so now in this third section, Paul is teaching us how to fight against the enemy who wants to keep us from all that we've learned in those first two parts. And so the only way we're going to be able to fight against the enemy is by putting on and using the equipment that God has provided for us. We can't do this in the flesh, the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not earthly. They're spiritual. And so as we have gone through the armor of God here in our text in Ephesians 6, we have looked at the five defensive pieces that God gives to us. First off, the belt of truth, the idea that every day we start off by saying, Lord, I am deciding right now that your word is the thing that is the final answer. Your word determines what is and what will be. You are the final boss. You're the final answer. What you say goes. That's going to be the thing that holds all the other armor together is I'm looking to your word. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, the idea that we start each day by saying, Lord, I'm going to take on the enemy today, not my own strength and not my own righteousness, but in the finished work of Christ. I'm going to rest in the finished work of Christ. It's going to guard my heart from the attacks of the enemy. Guard my vital organs, you know, spiritually speaking, from the attacks of the enemy. Sandals laced together with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the courage of the gospel of peace. The idea that we wake up every day and say, Lord, I'm a soldier. I'm going out to share your faith, to shine my light, to preach the gospel. And so I'm deciding today to go out with that courage of the fact that I've experienced the peace of God, the goodness of the gospel, and others need to hear it. And then taking up our shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. The idea that we start each day saying, Lord, and Challenges come, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to drop my armor and just run off. I'm going to stand my ground knowing, Lord, that as I trust in you, that you will cause me to be victorious, that you're not going to let me get burned up to a crisp. I don't need to be panicked. I can hold my ground and be at peace in my heart because I know that you're trustworthy. And then the helmet of salvation, the idea that we welcome the work of God's Spirit in our life. That idea that our salvation is not just the day we got saved, but we're being saved every day. The idea that we're being sanctified, made more like Christ. That we welcome the work of the Spirit changing us to make us more like Christ. We welcome the work of the Spirit who might send us somewhere that might cost us something. The idea that, hey, I'm, my salvation will be, eventually be perfected when I'm glorified. I'm, I, can't, I can never lose, even if I lose my life. So we welcome that. That's putting on our helmet. And then now we get to the two offensive pieces we studied, the idea of the sword of the Spirit, not necessarily the Bible, but the specific sections of Scripture that we can wield in the appropriate situations, where we can say to the enemy, just as Jesus did, it is written, and we pull out the specific appropriate Scripture to confront that attack and to go on the offensive. And then, of course, our second offensive piece, which is prayer. And so this morning, we are going to finish up talking about that second piece, our offensive piece of equipment, prayer. Paul says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We got to the first part last week. We saw that when we need to pray is in always, which means in every decisive moment. We should never be confronting or facing a decisive moment in life without prayer. 
Then he tells us how we should pray, and he lists three ways. Number one, with all prayer, by regularly talking to God, just being in regular conversation with God throughout the day. Secondly, with supplication, which means by making formal requests to God. And then thirdly, in the Spirit. We discussed that last week. But now Paul, as he's finishing up, he says, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So this next aspect of our weapon of prayer is that we need to be vigilant with it. The word there, watching, it means to be alert, vigilant, or on the lookout for something. And we are to be alert, vigilant, and on the lookout for, it says, thereunto, which means for the purpose of what was already said, supplications, to make requests to God. In other words, rather than waiting for things to get desperate to pray, I need to be on the lookout for opportunities to pray. And those are two different things. Most of the time, maybe not you, but me, I get serious about prayer when a crisis hits, when the enemy has already come in like a flood, and I'm, my shield's on fire and stuff, and I'm panicking. And it's like, oh, 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 oh there's an enemy out there. All right, that's right. What do I do? What do I do? All right, it is written, uh, pray. Right? We kind of get in that moment like, oh, that's right. I'm in a battle. That's right. It's not a walk through the park. I'm in a battlefield today. But the idea that he's saying here is that as we recognize that this is one of our weapons, rather than waiting for things to get into a desperate part, we need to be on the lookout for opportunities to pray. And so you know, I ask you this morning, do you do that? Do you look for opportunities to pray? Do you anticipate those decisive moments in your life each day? Or do you often find yourself praying only after the attack has come? I think if we started our day by putting on this piece of equipment with a vigilance by saying, Lord, I, I've got this in front of me today, this in front of me, this in front of me today. I don't know what I'm facing, but I'm, I'm going to just totally cover it all in prayer. I think it, we would be more effective with our weapon. Now, we need to be vigilant in prayer, but it mentions here also uh, persistent, watching thereunto with all perseverance. So our vigilance needs to be accompanied with all perseverance, which means with total devotion or with absolute persistence. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples to pray for him in the garden of Gethsemane and they all fell asleep? Jesus, he asked them afterwards, could you not tarry one hour? I've only been to the Garden of Gethsemane once. Um, it's a very popular visit, uh, visit place if you're over in Israel, so usually you have to schedule a time to go, and you don't get to stay there very long. So we usually, like, we had a very short Bible study, and then they give you a few moments to kind of walk around. The olive trees were burned down in 70 AD, so they're not the same exact trees that were there at the time Jesus was there, but generally, you get the idea. It's a very peaceful place, a very quiet place. It's removed from the city. Um, you can understand where it's late at night, they're stressed out, why they might fall asleep. But I will say, being in that place, and the reality of that conversation where Jesus says, couldn't you tarry one hour? I wonder how many times the Lord has thought, couldn't you set aside five minutes, Will? Couldn't you just set aside five minutes? I don't ever sense the Lord saying that to me harshly. It's almost like with a sad voice, kind of how I imagine Jesus. Could you not tarry one hour? Like, you know, I don't imagine Jesus walking up and going, couldn't, you guys couldn't even do one hour? What's wrong with you? But the sadness, the idea is he was telling them, he goes, there's a battle, man. 
the battle. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You've got to pray. I need prayer. And then when he finds him asleep, could you not tarry one hour? Don't you realize how important prayer is? Why didn't you set aside more time for it will? Why didn't you take the time to do it? Part of taking ground from the enemy is being totally devoted in prayer, or to prayer, I should say. We need to be persistent. We can't give up because we don't see anything happening. I think one of the most interesting passages in the Bible is when Daniel is visited by an angel who is coming with an answer to his prayer request, but weeks later. And the angel explains to me, he goes, listen, the day you started praying, I was dispatched, ran into a little bit of opposition on the way. And it's mind-blowing. Again, I, we don't need to like, try to examine that passage and form some whole weird theology around it. But the idea is to recognize that just because we don't see something happening doesn't mean that God isn't hearing and God's not working. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray on a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he said, ask, right? Seek, knock. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus said this, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Now, you're well taught, so you've, you've probably learned over the years at some point that you know that literally it reads, ask and keep on asking, and you'll receive. Seek and keep on seeking, and you'll find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door shall be opened. For he who asks and keeps on asking receives. He who seeks and keeps on seeking finds. And to him that knocks and keeps on knocking, it shall be opened. The idea is that Jesus isn't communicating here that you ask once. The idea is he's communicating the need to be persistent in prayer. Then he explains why we need to keep on asking. He says, Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? I try to be the best dad I can. When my kids ask me for food, I don't go and, you know, outside and get a shovel and put a bunch of dirt in a, in a bowl and I say, here, eat that. Chew on these rocks. Our, as earthly fathers, we wouldn't do that when our kids asked for a need. And God is our perfect father. He is way better dad than, than me or any of us here who are fathers. So if we being evil know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more shall our father which is in heaven give good gifts to them that ask him? When we are praying things in God's will, we just need to be persistent. Now, you say, well, I've been praying for something for a very long time, Will, and I have not seen God answering. That doesn't mean God's not moving. There are other factors involved. You know, sometimes you know, I have six kids, and you know, I intercede for them over lots of things. Things you see want them to grow in, or things you see that are challenges in their life. I intercede all the time. Now, I pray, and I know that the things I'm praying, God wants for them, because I see that in His Word. That's a character attribute He wants us to have. So I know God's answering. But if I don't see things changing, that's not because God's not answering. It's because someone else's will is involved in the process. So God calls us to be persistent with our will, with our part that we play as we are praying for things and in particular interceding for others. 
Sometimes it's not that God says no. Sometimes it's just the reality that someone else is being stubborn. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Paul says, be persistent with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We need to intercede, ask God, request formally from God things for all the saints. This persistence and vigilance is especially true when it concerns my requests for my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, if you've prayed for me about something and you think, man, Pastor Will, you know, I've been praying for him about this and he's still not changing. Yeah, because I'm stubborn. Just like you. So keep praying. Be persistent. Especially if you have a challenging relationship with someone in the church. I know no one in Calvary Chapel Orlando has any challenging relationships with someone in Calvary Chapel Orlando. Is there anybody that when you come into church and you see them across the way and you're like, oh, please do not let me get in a conversation with them? Is there anybody here that you think, oh, no, we're talking about this again? This is why I always want to talk about this. Do you have a challenging relationship with someone here at church? Start praying for them. Start praying for them. I remember there was a, an individual way back, way back, and every time they would come to Bible study, they would want to talk about this one topic every single time. And I'd be like, how many times do we have to talk about this particular doctrine? Like, it's not a surprise what I think about this. And I've made it very clear I'm not moving on this. But every single time we talked, they wanted to talk about how important this doctrine was to them. I remember going, Lord, I, I don't even know what to do with this person. Like, like, why are they here? They clearly don't like the way I'm handling this. So like, wh- what's going on? Later on, that individual became a dear friend of mine. I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't come to me and go, well, I'm not budging on my doctrine. You're not gonna convince me to change. So why don't you just go this way and I'll go this way. I'm very glad that he loves me and still love, loved me and still loves me through all my stubbornness and hard-headedness and all my issues. Pray for him. When I first got to Bible college, I was not a Coward Chapel guy. And so I got to the Bible college and yeah, there were certain things I heard Calvary Chapel did and believed, and I thought, well, that's kind of weird. <clears throat> and, I, and so I was, one of my, I think it was my first week there, and I was looking to engage. And I thought, you know, I don't know anybody here, but I, I want to engage. And, and there were these three guys, and they were kind of like really spiritual. Like when you saw them, they looked spiritual, they acted spiritual. And I thought, I'm going to go sit with them for lunch today. And we're going you know, to have a spiritual conversation And we did about a doctrine that we disagreed on. And by the end of the conversation, it got ugly. They're like, what are you even doing at this school? If you believe that, this is Calvary Chapel. Man, I just wanted to make them have less teeth in their mouth after I was done with that. Like, I would just see them, and I'm just like, I could fix all this right now. I am not someone who seeks out confrontation. I don't like confrontation, but I don't like being backed into a corner. And 
and, and I felt that way. It was like I felt attacked and I felt backed into a corner. It was my own pride that got me in that place. It's my own problem. But I didn't, I didn't like that. And it, and it frustrated me and angered me and it hurt. And I thought, I'm going to have to deal with these guys for the rest of the semester. Every night I would go to bed and I would, if I see them that night or across the room, it didn't matter. I'd just be like, <laughs> I'd replay everything they said in my mind and all the nastiness and all the whatever. And Funny enough, we were going through Ephesians. One of the classes was Ephesians that semester. And I remember the pastor teaching on prayer, teaching on forgiveness. And he said, you know, if you have someone in your life that's very difficult, you need to pray for them. Pray God will bless them. Pray God will work in their life. Pray God will use them. And I was like, I want God to use these guys. I want them to die, you know? (laughs) Slow, painful death while I watch and laugh. (laughs) Told you, man, don't put me in a corner. (laughs) And uh, I just had so much bitterness and and anger in my heart. And, and so I started doing that every night. And I remember he had said, he said, listen, he goes, and you'll, he said, forgiveness is a choice we make and a work God does. It's both. You make the choice to forgive and then God begins working on your heart where you get to a place where you've forgiven them. You make the choice, God does the work of forgiveness in your heart. And he said, you'll know that God's completed that work of forgiveness in your heart when you see them and you spontaneously wish them well. I thought, we're gonna be here for a long time, Lord. Anyway, these particular three guys, their heart was to plant a church at Calvary Chapel in New York City because that's the toughest place to go. And, you know, so, you know you'd, I'd hear it and I'd just cringe and I'm just like, you guys don't deserve to go to like the easiest place. And I remember I was walking one day and I, I saw one of them over across the way and he waved at me and I said, hey, we'll call him Mike. I said, hey, Mike. And my first thought was, Lord, bless the work that you're going to do in New York through them. I almost tripped. I was like, it happened. Now, here's why I'm telling you this story. One of those three guys is a pastor now, and he's one of my dearest friends. When we see each other at conferences, we always pray together. God will work in our hearts. I would have never chosen that. This individual, he was my dorm steward, and so I, he was the one in charge of the dorm I was in. And there'd be times, you know, he'd be like, hey guys, da, 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 and I'd be like, da, 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 you know. <laughs> That's not how it stayed. So we need to pray for each other. We need to make requests for one another because it, it works and it changes our hearts. So do it, especially if you've got somebody here you don't get along well with or it's frustrating to be around. Now, we are reading Paul's letter almost 2,000 years after he wrote it. But the Ephesians were hearing it in real time. And so if they were going to be vigilant to do what Paul said here, to pray for their brothers and sisters, well, they needed to pray for him too because Paul had some very important needs at this time in his life. Verse 19, he says, And for me, pray for all the saints, and for me, don't leave me out, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul here makes two prayer requests, one in verse 19, one in verse 20. We'll look at the first one here in verse 19. He says, pray for me that, in other words, Paul needed prayer to accomplish something. 
Pray for me that utterance might be given unto me. The phrase there, might be given, is in an interesting voice in the Greek, optative, which expresses an action that's possible, but not because it's, it's happening, but because it's what you wish or desire to happen that hasn't happened. It's one step farther from the mood of, rea- mood of possibility. It's farther from reality than the mood of possibility. In other words, Paul's describing something that was a closed door for him at this point in time. And he's asking them to pray that God opens that door. Now, what will help open that door, he says, is utterance, which means a specific word or message from the Lord. He says, pray for me that a specific word or message might be given unto me. That, why he needs this special message from the Lord, that I may open my mouth boldly. I might start speaking with fearlessness, with frankness, with confidence to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, we've already talked about this in Ephesians, but the mystery of the gospel is this idea that the full concept of the cross was not understood in the Old Testament. It was there, but it wasn't completely understood. And so it was revealed in the New Testament. A mystery is something that was previously unknown, but has now been revealed, and in particular to a select few. And Paul was one of those select few that Jesus himself taught the gospel to. Paul was an apostle, which means Jesus, he had seen the risen Lord, Jesus appeared to him and specifically sent him out to explain the wonderful news that God is calling sinners back to him, to go out and to explain that the uh, the forgiveness and the salvation that are possible if you'll repent of your sins and place your trust in Christ and all he accomplished on the cross. That was who Paul was. But Paul is also, in addition to being an apostle, he's a prisoner in Rome right now. He will eventually be brought before Caesar to make his case. But up to this point, while he's waiting to see Caesar, it's been difficult for Paul to share the good news with the people around him. So, he is asking the Ephesians to pray that God gives him a specific message to share with those around him so he can be confident and fearless when he does so. And this is one of the reasons I really love the Bible because the Bible is so very human. Every other religious writing out there, it lays out its heroes and it never lists any flaws. They're perfect. But the Bible doesn't do that with its heroes. With the people that we look up to and admire and we say, I wanna be like them, it is brutally honest with us about both their failures and their struggles. And one of the things that Paul was struggling with here is, I don't know what to say to these guys. I love that. I need that prayer. (laughs) Like, I need that prayer. Now, you might be saying, what do you mean Paul didn't know what to say? He knows the gospel. Yeah, I do too. But when I'm grabbing tomatoes for the family and the lady over there, the guy over there is grabbing lemons, you know, and the Lord's like, hey, tell them about me. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm getting tomatoes and they're getting lemons. We got nothing in common. (laughs) I don't know where to start. clam up, or I don't know what to say, or I start arguing with the Lord. And what Paul is explaining here is he was not confident about how to start those conversations with the people around him in his current atmosphere. I get that, because I too am sometimes uncomfortable or lack confidence about what to say to an unbeliever. 
in certain situations. Now, you come here, it's different if you walk into church. I've probably asked many of you when I first met you, hey, do you know the Lord? And I feel very comfortable doing that. I have confidence because I kind of think people expect that I would ask them that when they come to a church and they say hi to the pastor. They're going to expect to go, I care about people's salvation. Are you saved? It's easy for me to do that here, but for whatever reason, get me out on a grocery store run or when I'm paying for gas or at a restaurant for food or when I'm out on a walk in the neighborhood, I'm out on a walk in the neighborhood. Somebody else is walking. My first thought isn't, let me tell them about Jesus. My first thought is, do I have my keys on me so I can stab them if they try to attack me? Paul was surrounded by lots of unbelievers in prison, but it felt like a shut door for him when he thought about sharing Jesus with him. He had a hard time speaking with confidence. And so, what a great prayer to pray for our church, don't you think? God, give all of us a specific message to share with unbelievers when we bump into them today. I added that, to, I did that study this week, and I'm like, I'm adding that to my prayer list. Every day I'm going to pray for our church, and if you do that too, i I'd be really cool to see what God does. God, give everybody in our church a specific message from you each day. Like when you're praying that day, Lord, give everybody in our church a specific message today if they happen to bump into an unbeliever and see what God does. I mean, what a great prayer to pray for yourself. God, give me something very specific to say today when I bump into somebody who doesn't know you. Great prayer. Well, Paul wanted them to pray this for him because he knows he's not prisoner by mistake. In fact, he would, not, he would not say his situation is best defined as imprisonment. He says in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. For which refers to the gospel, the last word of verse 19. Because of the gospel, I am an ambassador in bonds. Preaching the gospel is what landed Paul in prison. But he sees himself as so much more than a prisoner. He says, I'm an ambassador. They might say, you're a prisoner, 1,942. Paul's going, yes, the ambassador from so-and-so, from heaven, representing Jesus here in the Roman prison. The word ambassador means to function as a representative of a ruling authority. That's how he saw himself, even though he was imprisoned. Do you see yourself as the king of kings representative at your workplace? Yes, you're at your specific workplace to work and to do a good job at your work. But the Romans didn't slap Paul in chains so he could preach the gospel in Rome either. You didn't get hired to preach the gospel at your job. And so while Paul was to be a model prisoner, he was still an ambassador. And we are no different. We are no different. Do you see yourself as the king of kings representative in your family? or in your neighborhood, or in your school. We may have gotten access to those different groups of people for other reasons, but I must see myself as Jesus' ambassador there in addition to fulfilling the responsibilities I have to that group. Now, if you're a student, flunking in your classes because you're not working hard, or because you're lazy, or because you're not doing your homework, or not paying attention, or you got a bad attitude, that's not going to be a good witness. So yes, you need to be a good student. But don't forget, you're not just a student. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ to Edgewater High School. You're an ambassador to Jesus Christ at Lockheed Martin. You're an ambassador to Jesus Christ in the Ramirez family or your family or whatever it might be. 
You're an ambassador to Jesus Christ in Orlando. Having stated that Paul understands this responsibility, he then makes his second request. That therein, in the preaching of the gospel, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Therein refers back to the mystery of the gospel, the wonderful news of salvation. He says that in the gospel, I might speak boldly. And then he says, as I ought to speak, or literally as I am compelled, as it is necessary, as I must speak. This is so interesting to me because I think the tendency would be if you were in Paul's shoes is to go, God, give me wisdom so I can present a good case for myself so I can be free. But that's not what Paul's asking for prayer for. He's not asking for boldness for when he goes to argue his case for why he should be freed. And while I am sure Paul wants to be acquitted of his crimes and released, and I'm sure he wants to make a decent argument for that, that's not his prayer request here. His request is, I want to be bold and fearless about preaching the gospel which is the only thing I know for sure God wants me to do here. That that is provoking. The idea is that perhaps, Paul says, God's will for my life is not to be free, it's to be executed. And maybe more people will come to the Lord through that. Would that be an injustice, like a a legal wrong? Yeah, it would have been. Paul did nothing wrong. Of course it would. But maybe God would allow that injustice so that more could come to the Lord. Paul didn't know what God's will was in the situation. He hoped to be freed. He communicates that in his letters, but he didn't know for sure. So Paul's freedom isn't necessarily God's will in this situation. But Paul says, I know one thing that is, and it's preaching the gospel, whether I'm to be executed or I'm to be freed, while I'm here to preach the gospel. In our current climate, people are bold about a lot of things. I hear pastors say all the time, we need to be bold. I'm like, we need to, we're plenty of that. That's not the problem. It's what we're bold about. In our current climate, people are bold about a lot of things. Social media is a cesspool of bold speech for many things that have nothing to do with the gospel. And sadly, many who name Christ find it more important to speak boldly for political change or physical health change or financial or cultural change than to share the wonderful news of the cross and the change Jesus will bring to your life. I know that there are many good things in this world that we could boldly speak about. But there's only one thing for sure I can say God wants me and you to be boldly vocal about, and that's the gospel. I know that for sure. Everything else I don't know, but that I know for sure. If others were asked what you speak about openly or boldly, how would they answer? Would they say, well, it's the good news about Jesus? Or would they list some other topic? I'm not saying you can't be known for someone who speaks boldly about other good things, but if others wouldn't say that the gospel is first on their list, that's not a good thing, and that's something that needs to change. I would never want someone to say, what's Will bold about? He hates the Yankees. Correct. (laughs) But if that's what they hear me being bold about, 
Yankee fans are struggling right now, so I'm not going to go farther with that. Need to pray for our Yankee fans. Every time the Astros win, we need to like do a wellness check with the, with the Yankee fans. I, I want people to answer that question really easily without even thinking about it and go, Will's bold about the gospel. It's bold about Jesus and what he did for me and what he did for on the cross and how he can change a person's life. Now, we look at Paul here, and he, he's making this request, and like I said, the Ephesians are reading this in real time. Like, we can't read this and apply it to our lives and go, okay, let's pray for Paul, everybody. Paul's dead. He's with the Lord. He's already gone through this experience. But what a great prayer to pray for our church. Lord, help us to be bold in sharing the awesome news about Jesus. Isn't that a great thing you could pray every day for us? Or I pray for all my brothers and sisters at Calvary Chapel Orlando today. Give them boldness about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a great prayer. And what a great prayer to pray for yourself. Lord, if I'm going to be boldly vocal about something today, let it be the gospel first. I've got to be bold about something today, and I've only got time for one thing. Let it be the gospel. Because if we want to take ground back from the enemy... It's not going to be by being bold for all those other things. I look out in our culture right now, and and I just think to myself, Lord, we're lost. Not like one section of our culture is lost, like we're lost. We are lashing out from every angle. You can find someone who comes from numerous different perspectives and they're lashing out. They're afraid, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're lost. And the Lord has said, go take that ground. So how do I take that ground? They're weird. Yeah, you were weird too one time. Not that weird, weird enough to need a savior. angry. They don't like me. Didn't like Jesus either. The Bible says he loved him to the very end. If we want to take ground back from the enemy, we need to learn the weapons, use the weapons that God gives to us. One of those weapons is that specific sword we pull out of his word, and the other one is prayer. We need to pray for each other. God wanted to use Paul to take ground from the enemy in Rome, and he wants to use you to take ground from the enemy in your family, in your neighborhood, your workplace, and our city. He wants to use us. I cannot stress enough the importance of being connected to other believers. It's not enough to just show up, and I'm not saying this derogatory, I'm not trying to be mean. It's not enough to just show up to church and hear a good teaching. I'm glad that, that you can be at numerous Bible studies here at the church and you're going to get fed. Like, I am so glad about that. It's, it's part of what we focus on here as our church. It's one of the, the most important things we do. But if, if your only experience of church is showing up and listening to this for 45 minutes or however long I, I blather, that's not church. Church is all you guys. 
This is a part of church, but it's not church. The church is people. I need people who are praying for me. I need to be praying for others. And so I want to encourage you to do more than just show up and hear a good teaching or what I hope is a good teaching. I want to challenge you. Get connected. If you've got other believers, I mean, you're surrounded by a bunch right now. You may not know many of them, but you're surrounded by a bunch of believers. If you've got other believers in your life outside of our church circle here, I know some of you might be part of a mom's group or like a, a work Bible study or something like that. Whatever it is, then, then you need to be praying for those fellow believers. You, you cannot be isolated. You, you, prayer is always talked about in the scripture as being connected to other people. And so if there's no one out there who's praying for you except a grandmother, that's not healthy church life. That's not healthy Christianity. If no one here knows what's, or is, no one here is praying for you about anything, that's not healthy Christianity. And so my challenge to you is part of using this weapon is to get connected with other believers. You know, you gotta get outside of yourself. You gotta, it needs to be more than just showing up at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on a Sunday. It needs to be in, in relationship with other believers that, that they can ask you and say, how are you doing? And you don't just say, fine. You say, good, but keep praying for me about this or not good, can you pray for me about this? I don't do small talk well. It was so awkward first becoming a pastor because, you know, I sit down with people and, and I'm pretty intense as an individual. I don't like to waste time on what I would consider in my flesh meaningless conversation. And so if someone's like, how you doing? My answer is going to be an honest answer. And sometimes I watch as people's eyes get real big and I'm like, I didn't want all that. <laughs> but I, I, when I got saved, I wasn't mess. Man, it was all those men in the church who I got connected to, and they heard a lot all the time about all the stuff I needed prayer for. And it was through their influence in my life that I grew as a believer. My understanding of Christianity is that open kind of dialogue with, with other believers. If you don't have that, if your experience here is, hi, how you doing? And that's it, it doesn't go past fine, I challenge you, go deeper. Invite somebody over. If someone invites you, say yes. And then find out what they need prayer for. Share with them what you need prayer for so that we can wield the weapons that God gives to us and take ground back from the enemy. Amen? I've got four minutes, so I'm not done yet. <laughs> now, Paul putting a prayer request in a letter is a very human thing to do. And the books of the Bible, they're not formal things. All right? Like, Paul wasn't sitting down with a pen and going, wow, God, this is good stuff. He was writing a letter from his heart, not personally, but dictating it to someone else, so almost like he was preaching. But there are these personal elements in these letters all the time because that's the human part of the Bible. It's no normal for him to share prayer requests. It's something we do in conversation with our church family. But I do think in this particular instance, the Holy Spirit steered Paul to put this request 
in this letter right after he talks about spiritual warfare for a specific reason. I think the Holy Spirit wanted us to see how powerful this weapon of prayer is because the truth is we actually have evidence in the Bible that God answered the Ephesians' prayers for Paul. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. A little bit of context. 2 Timothy 4 is written during Paul's second imprisonment. Ephesians is written during his first imprisonment. Paul is, he goes before Caesar. If uh, historical accounts are to be believed, he laid it heavy. He laid the gospel heavy on Caesar. And Caesar concluded, this guy's just a religious whatever. He's not guilty of anything. He released him. But whether it was Paul or someone else, something radically changed in Caesar after that. Because after that experience with Paul before him and hearing the gospel, Caesar went crazy. Prior to that, he was one of Rome's best emperors. And then at this point in time, after he met with Paul, he lost his mind. He began a crusade against Christians. He began killing them left and right. And eventually, he put out the warrant for Paul's rearrest, had Paul rearrested, did not acquit him at his next trial, and Paul was beheaded. So when Paul is writing 2 Timothy, it's before his second trial, the one that will lead to his execution. And Paul is pretty much understanding that's the way this is going to go. But remember, who's Timothy the pastor of when Paul writes this? He's the pastor of Ephesus. And Paul hearkens back to his first imprisonment in verse 16, 2 Timothy 4. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 16, at my first defense, answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. When Paul went on court for his trial, no other believers were there to, to stand by his side. He was all alone. There were those who said, Paul, we'll, we'll go with you to the trial, and, and they just bailed on him. He was left alone. He says, Lord, I pray God may not be laid to their charge. Paul, he realized, man, that's people. We, we get scared, and we make mistakes, and we don't do what we say we'll do. God, don't hold it to him. This was a rough time. But then he says this, notwithstanding, even though I was there alone at my first trial, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that what? By me, the preaching might be fully known and that all, not just Caesar, but all the Gentiles might hear. In other words, God heard the prayers of the Ephesians God gave him a specific word to share with all the unbelievers around him and to preach boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. God answered Paul's prayer. And then there's a, a colon there, which means there's a pause. He wants that to sink in first. And then Paul says, God did even more than that. He says, I didn't ask you to pray for this. He says, but I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I was set free. I was acquitted. God did even more, he did even more than I asked him for. And so because of that, even though Paul knew that he was likely facing execution, Paul was confident that God would continue to work in his life, even though it would probably end in his death. For he says in verse 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like Paul says here, he goes, guys, I'm wearing my armor. 
don't take yours off. I'm wearing my armor. I welcome the work that the Holy Spirit's going to do in me. He's sanctifying me, and he's going to glorify me. And so either way, I win. And I welcome whatever it is that God wants to do. I am absolutely confident in God's work in my life. Prayer works, guys. It works. It's powerful. So let's be those who confidently use the weapon that God has given to us. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, we want to be faithful soldiers. And so, and you've called us, Lord, to take certain hills. So, Lord, we want to be those who can charge up there confidently, just like Paul wanted to be able to do. So, Lord, we want to be transparent with others. We want to be connected to others. We want to be those who will intercede for others, who will be willing to tarry just a bit to pray each day, to persevere, to be vigilant, and not waiting to pray until the enemy is unleashed as assault. We want to be those who can come back with the trophy of the hell gates we've knocked down. Thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful weapon. Teach us to be warriors in prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.